It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hulu's Golden Globe-nominated comedy Casual returns as Alex, Valerie, and Laura try to rebuild their lives outside the home. But new friends and lovers can only do so much to distract them from a shared history of dysfunction. From director Jason Reitman and writer Xander Lehman, all new episodes of Casual are now streaming on Hulu. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by our editor-at-large, Ann Thompson in Los Angeles. And... uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things today. We're looking ahead to the Telluride Film Festival. The next time we record Screen Talk, we'll actually be in that little mountain town and uh, have all kinds of different things to dig into. So we're going to preview that to the best of our ability, even though we don't officially know anything that's there. And then there's a whole bunch of different stuff opening this week. Hands of Stone, Bloodfather, a whole bunch of other different things. So we'll, we'll st- stick with the release calendar to the best of our ability. But first and foremost, we have to look at the movies that uh, are about to get a huge bump in the fall season. The award season, as we see it, is going to completely shift in certain kinds of ways by the, by the fall festival calendar. And that's a phenomenon that if you're at these festivals, you understand very clearly. But I think if you're not on the ground, it's maybe harder to discern exactly how, uh, say, a festival like Telluride can make a real different for, difference for certain kinds of movies. And and we were talking about this before. The, the we we have an idea of some movies that are going to be at this festival. What's what's crucial to point out is that some of the movies that are going to be there have already played in different places. But just by virtue of going to Telluride, it's really going to make a difference in terms of their visibility in award season, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but the, the one that comes first is Venice. So um, I'm curious to see. Um, we have a reviewer there. I'm curious to see how some of the first movies that break in Venice, like La La Land, for example, That's which true. is rumored to be playing at Telluride. We don't know. We won't. We can't say definitively. Um, but this is the time of year where everybody starts to, you know, discuss and debate, you know, is that playing at Telluride? And the publicists know, and there's certain things that are going to be booked. Um, so La La Land, that's an example of something that first it'll break in Venice, then it'll Opening play in Telluride. Venice on Wednesday, so the buzz will be out about this thing, which if you've seen the trailer and you're following the, the hype around this thing, Damien Chazelle does a musical. He, he Actually, his first movie was a musical, but Whiplash was something that kicked his career up to another level. I mean, it's, it seems like the kind of thing where Venice will, will say something nice about this movie and then it goes to Telluride and the hype is sort of uh, amplified by well, the... Well, the difference, characters. but there's a difference between Venice, which I've been to once, and Telluride, which I return to 
every year and I look forward to it every year because it has this sort of lovely summer camp in the Rockies mm -hmm. sort of feel to it. And, you know, you can I just call sort it, of... Uh, it's like being in someone's backyard with great VIP access. <laughs> you know? There's no and, rules, but everybody's there. You, can you just... know, it's just great. And, and it, you know, we, we, uh, we look forward to it. And even if the altitude has to be dealt with on opening night, always drink water <laughs> on opening night. Um, but the, but the, the trick is that in Venice, there's a European contingent, you know, and if just a few Americans, a lot of Brits, a lot of folks from variety and, and the certain trades and screen and, and everything. But it doesn't have that community of people talking in the same way that that leads to Toronto, that leads to the spreading of the buzz, that that leads to the uh, the awards conversation that we will continue to have from now on. And also, there's this an intimacy to it that that uh, you will not find anywhere else, and you can't replicate anywhere else because it's true that there are certain industry insiders who are there and Academy voters who are there certain Academy voters who go every year just because they like going, like an Alexander Payne or somebody like that. But then you also have people who have absolutely nothing to do with the film industry. A lot of families who raise their kids to love movies and, and a lot of people who go to the classics, a lot of people who stand in line and they trust, they trust the curators that, that, that they're going to see that everything is going to be good. And, and with few exceptions, most of what they show is good. So that when you hear that one of the awards contenders, shall we say a movie like maybe Sully, maybe, is going there, something like Bleed for This, maybe. If you hear that, then you go, hmm, they thought that was a really good movie. Or right. they're going to have an excuse to do, you know, that they'll give a tribute to somebody um, you know, and then and then they'll have an excuse like it like Toronto is doing a conversation with Isabelle Huppert, you know, because she's got two films in the in the festival. And that's part of the, you know, drumbeat for the awards campaign that Sonic Pictures Classics is going to put on for for Isabelle Huppert. And uh, right. and I have as well. But I tell you, right, I mean, it's it's sort of like with that non-industry audience, they, the studios have a barometer for how these things are going to play with more general audiences. And they can build a certain strategy around the more influential people in the industry who could play a role with these things. So it's, it's sort of like two birds, one stone, which you can't replicate in Toronto. But it, at the same time, it's harder to discern the influence of Telluride because it's just, it's so short and it's such a contained insular world you know, it's not that the whole universe hears about Telluride and they don't have the same kind of flashy prominence of, of Venice, which will have big press conferences and all these kinds of things. But there's something subtler that will happen that will be really keyed into. Oh, it has, I, it has more impact in, in, in the actual uh, American industry in Hollywood than Venice does and it leads to Toronto. We've talked about this before. It's a drumbeat. It's a it's a it's a it's a magnification. It's an amplification that occurs in in Toronto. And it uh, arrives at a really interesting point in time for the award season, right? Because you have this timeline where I don't know when it begins. Maybe after the Oscars, sometime around Cannes, you start to get these early stirrings of possibilities. Obviously, over the summer, different things have happened that have given us a better sense of, of which movie studios want to really push out there, whether it's, uh, you know, something like 
the arrival or or, or something else. But uh, I, I, what's notable about during Telluride is that you get certain movies that they show up there and they maybe have been around for a little bit, but suddenly they have a different identity when they're there. So if, and we don't know, but is, there's this possibility that a movie like Manchester by the Sea shows up in the Telluride lineup. And this is a movie that has, you know, actually managed to make a lot more headlines than a quiet family drama necessarily. That's because that. it's so good. It's, good it's really are, that it's, good. It's, it's, it's extraordinarily well-written, Kenneth Lonergan, incredibly well-directed, better and more disciplined than his last few efforts, in my opinion, and, and actu- actually, you know, incredibly moving. You know, you, but, you're, but it's a very that, sad movie. But the point, the point of this movie is that if it, it, you know, it made more noise at Sunday. It's not only because it's, it's good, I think, but also because it, it sold for a lot of money, which meant that a big company, Amazon, was investing in that quality in a big kind of way. And the big kind of way they were investing in was the award strategy. So we are going to see the next step, really, for that strategy many months down the line is to take that movie to the fall festival well they have to build it up they have to give it a a higher profile and and they will i have that up there with um loving which i understand will be going to toronto um from Cannes. um and that one is 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 going is is already you know well on its on its way from focus features, um, and it's stealing some of the thunder I would say from Birth of a Nation, which uh, that distracting conversation continues to play out because the debate about how you handle. Uh, an old rape charge, how you can, you know, what is your, what is, how should, a lot of people are judging Nate Parker and how he should be handling this and how he should be talking about it. And it's a fascinating, fascinating conversation, I have to say. Yeah, we dug into this pretty significantly last week, but it, but it continues to be. It just keeps going on. Cheryl Boone Isaacs of the Academy said today, and this is very much the, the industry, the Hollywood point of view is often, has often been, and it's very rarely, you know, uh, goes the other way, that you you check out the work. You separate the person who made the movie from the movie itself, and you don't, a lot of people are saying they won't see it, they just won't go. And and, and a lot of people are angry enough at at Nate Parker not to want to see his film. I, I am of the school that you check out the movie. You know, and look at it on its own terms. Well, also, um, it's a really specific kind of movie. I mean, it's like if Woody Allen, whose obsessions with certain kinds of stories aren't entirely removed from some of the less positive perceptions of him, you know, if he does that, then it can be uncomfortable to watch a movie, say, like Manhattan, where Woody Allen falls in love with a young woman and not, you know, feel that kind of connectivity. Or Mel Gibson, who made Passion of the Christ. A movie that a lot of people were emotional about, and other people like myself watched and said, "Hey, I think there's some anti-Semitic stuff in here." I mean, it's hard to. But go you checked it out at least. There are a lot yeah. of people who felt so strongly well, about Mel. That is the last example that I was talking to you about the other day. You know, it, it's it's a it's a it's an example of a movie that people refused to go see because they thought that that they just didn't want to go there. And, right. Uh, whereas Birth of a Nation, I mean, there's just. These are two totally different worlds. I mean, the the, the story and the context of this movie—I I don't even think, honestly, that it's a great movie. But I would say that somebody deciding not to go to see it on moral grounds 
is is not necessarily doing themselves any good because you should see that movie. It's not. It's it, that's I what Cheryl Moon Isaacs is saying. Yeah. She's saying, given the subject matter, given given the history, you know, given the it's great reception that it really did have. Did. Exactly. I don't think it is at all. I don't feel that way at all. And so, anyway, Birth of a Nation goes to Toronto. They the there are three things that AFI had a screening. Uh, set at uh, a class that was being held by uh, a filmmaker, Ed Zwick, and he wanted to show the movie. Uh, after all this controversy erupted, uh, there had been uh, a case of sexual harassment on the campus. There were some sensitivities. They decided not to show it, and Fox withdrew. Then there's a story about how AFI didn't want to show the movie anymore. So Fox just gets punished, you know, no matter, you know, they were just doing the guy a favor at the beginning. And then if he didn't want to show it, he didn't want to show it, fine. Then at the um, uh, Toronto press conference, that became a story uh, that they weren't going to have a press conference for Birth of a Nation. Well, in fact, they were never scheduled to do a press conference, and there are about 10 other movies that aren't doing them, and a lot of movies that aren't world premieres. Yeah, it's that not a festival showed that somewhere does else. A, yeah, I mean, they do them fair. for the new movies. And so right. this movie isn't going to do one, and never was, and they are doing one inside the context of their own press junket. So there will be a press conference for the media that are attending the press junket. And he is going to do interviews in Toronto. So they're stepping up. You know, they're I mean, not backing off. Obviously, the guy has to do interviews. But by doing interviews, it's only going to continue to be a narrative associated with this movie. What it seems like will probably happen is that the conversation about fall season movies is going to just get more complicated, right? We just have fewer things to latch on to right now. This movie is still a ways away from opening in theaters, and then this story broke and, and it became a whole thing, but pretty soon we're going to have a lot of other kinds of movies to talk about. And already we're looking at three big ones that are vying for Best Picture with Birth of a Nation and Loving and Manchester by the Sea. We still haven't seen Arrival or Sully or, uh, for that matter, the new Ang Lee film. Uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which is going to be debuting at the New York Film Festival and it's glory. I, I want to be there because I want to see it the way he shot it. One, it's, it's 120 and 3D, one, you know, for frames per second. It's, it's, it's the fast, the, the highest frame rate, way beyond what they did on The Hobbit, way beyond so, that. So those sort of things, I mean, these aren't, that, that's not a complex moral conversation to be had about that movie, but I think we'll get to the point where every week, or so we're going to have another big fall movie to talk about, and that's going to make the Birth of a Nation thing perhaps have at least a little bit more company on the stage of fall movies to talk about. And I wonder how that. Well, I'm will not sure. Me. I'm not sure. There's, there's a, yeah. Well, they've Snowden has already sort of been introduced, so that's that's that's. I've heard that. Have you seen Snowden? I didn't see Snowden because the only screen, real screening that seems to have happened in in any kind of prominent way was. Uh, during Comic-Con, sort of a secret screening at Comic-Con. Well, they've been screening it, and I'm going to see it on Saturday. So that you should check, because I think there's going to be screenings in New York as well. I mean, so these... There seem to be screenings of, of Barry Jenkins' Moonlight also. So these are movies that are kind of question marks, something, something like Moonlight or something like... No, the Monster Calls, the Bayona film, is, a, is right. another a, one. Bayona. I mean, th these are movies where... They, they don't have quite the same level of visibility. They don't have quite they're the building same, buzz. Right. They're starting to build buzz. And so they could complicate the conversation, but we don't really know until all these different things happen. But when we're at Telluride, 
we're going to have a chance to really scrutinize what we already have. You know what I caught up with? I'd be curious to know what you would think about this as an Oscar contender. I caught up with Eye in the Sky. Uh, That's a really good movie. It's really solid. It's Um, way better than I was expecting. Way more, way, way more uh, taut and thrilling and upsetting. And and you're sort of yelling at the screen and you're going, no. Get well, that little so girl I'm the out sky. of there, you know. This is Gavin Hood's <laughs> movie that's basically about a bunch of bureaucratic BS in which different people are trying to control a drone pilot and, and make decisions about whether or not to bomb different areas. It's actually very that, similar. Whether there's piece. real collateral damage. What is the, what is the moral, uh, what is the high ground in terms of preventing a, right. a large terrorist attack versus you know, purposefully allowing a, a, an innocent child to get hurt? And, and and nobody really wants to take responsibility for that. So there's this kind of ongoing dark joke in the movie where everybody sort of says, you know, ask ask the person above me whether or not we can right. do this. Thing. Right. But uh, a a year earlier, there was this movie, Good Kill, that Ethan Hawke was in, which was not a, as good as this one. It, it's very different, but they they were both kind of dealing with the the kind of the moral ramifications of being able to control right it was more life. about the impact that it had on him and, and yeah so the Aaron Paul character in this what it was it was more about him yeah I mean I, I I'm more of a good kill kind of a guy in the sense I, I thought that was a, a more uh, suspenseful piece no. of no it was much no. more much more yeah. Eye in the Sky though I think is very well written it has a very it is. that's exactly what I walked away with I walked away with two things no, 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 no. There's more. There's Helen Mirren because Helen Mirren is Helen Mirren. It depends on how competitive the the, the best actress race is. It's more of an ensemble, so that could go away. It's also uh, Alan Rickman because it's his last he performance died. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know it's the Peter Finch factor. It's also Alexandre Desplat's score, along with screenplay. So that would be my bet. My bet is that it will get screenplay and score, most likely. Well, and that was uh, Bleecker 3, which had a lot of success last year. Well, it was one of the big hits of the year. If you, if you don't count, if you, if you discount The Witch as a quote-unquote wide release, as opposed to defining it as an indie, you would have Eye on the Sky as the highest grossing indie of the year that opened limited and it makes a lot of sense, too, because it crosses over to a lot of different sensibilities. It's sort of a thriller, and it's, it plays to a male demo, but it's also got Helen Mirren as sort of the strong, strongest character in the movie. So it's, uh, the success of that movie actually is, it makes a lot of sense. But, but, I, but I think what you see with these sort of things is that movie opened really early in the year. So they're going to have to reintroduce it to people, right? And they will. They will. And they've, they've got the goods. They've got the goods. It's a question of, um, do, I think it's about a serious subject. I think, I think the, the, if the Academy has seen the film and if they haven't seen it, if they check it out again, I think they could pull this out if they, if they can handle it properly. It's, it's really, the, I would say the fact that it's an ensemble you know that that it isn't it isn't entire in a in a way Helen Mirren it, we're so used to her being good at what she does that that it's not you know it's, it's like not when, one of uh, the great performances she's ever given you know because we we're, we're, we know how good she is well it's 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 in some ways it's it's playing against type I mean she's much more uh, that's not true it's very Jane Tennyson 
Eh, that's an interesting way of putting it. I mean, it, but it, it, compared to the Oscar she won for the Queen, I mean, is a fundamentally different kind of role. She's playing know? a guy. She's she's playing the tough person who wants to take care of, uh, in a military sense, a necessity in her mind, and it's the men who are being, you know, as you describe them, wimps. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, which you know, in the in these progressive times, could be a pretty good Oscar campaign. So. I, I we'll see, we'll see. Uh, I, I just, I just, uh, I just, I'm catching up with some of the stuff uh, that I missed. I, I you know, um, there's a, I put up a story with all the lists of all the docs that are maybe going to be in consideration for the Oscars, and that that I'm catching up with a lot of docs as well. One of the ones that's going to be at the festivals is called, the Eagle Huntress. And it's about set in Mongolia on the steppes. It's gorgeous. It's a great escape film. And it's about the first young girl who becomes an eagle hunter with, with this long male tradition. And she competes. And, and I saw another movie very similar to it. It's a fiction film called Queen of Katwe, which you went with me to. A very similar female empowerment story. Yeah, I mean, the, these things are certainly in the air. Although I would, I would be shocked if Eagle Huntress had as many fans as Wiener, but um, <laughs> anything can happen. In this. I have Wiener in the front runner category. <laughs> I love that. I love the idea that that, that crazy movie is. <laughs> so let, let's shift gears towards the end here because uh, there's a lot of stuff opening in theaters this week, which um, we've addressed a while ago when they played at different festivals, but it's worth coming back to because there's it's a, a lot of variety. Um, and, and these aren't all great movies, but they have certain kinds of relevance to our world that we should really dig into. And I think we should start with the one that showed up at Cannes this year with uh, the Weinstein Company in a way that on some level could have been a great platform for the movie if it was a great movie. Now, I did not see Hands of Stone, which was also uh, a Robert De Niro tribute when I went to Cannes. But well, that's how they got it. it in. I mean, that was the way that they got the movie into Cannes. Um, it wasn't selected... Uh, you know, it wasn't part of the competition or even on Sotown Regard or anything else because it wasn't good enough. <laughs> and so Harvey was in the awkward position of going to Cannes with no movies in the, in the selection, which usually doesn't happen to him. And this is how he got the movie out there and gave it a profile and brought in Edgar Ramirez and set up this this. Uh, tribute to Robert De Niro and um, it's a, not a very good film. It, I guess it, that, that's questionable though, right? I mean, does it even serve a movie like that to put it on a platform like Cannes if it's just not very good? Right? It's it a cheesy served, movie. It, I, think, I think finally they were playing to an audience in the, in the, uh, in, in, in the palais, you know, it was, it was a, it was a, uh, it played okay for, for a general audience. It's on the same level of something like Southpaw. That Jake Gyllenhaal was also starred in. Good fighting movie. There's something mainstream and soft and not entirely well executed about both of these films. They're too familiar. They're too similar to other films. They're too similar to each other, you know. And and I love Edgar Ramirez. I think he's a great actor. I, I love Robert De Niro. But this is just one of those movies that did, did not come together at all, and okay. that's why they're opening it in the summer. So it has zero awards prospects. Absolutely none. There's nothing you can do for this movie. And, and one the, more wait, 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 wait. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do one of my little things where I look up the uh, Metacritic hands of stone. I'm gonna guess it's in the 40s. Ah, 59. <laughs> 
55. So 55 is not a good, good, good score for an Oscar contender. You want to be in the 70s or 80s. I'm so Minimally. glad that you think that critics matter in awards. They season. do. <laughs> we have to latch on to you that. You have point. to. Crash is an example of a movie that got decent reviews, right? But didn't um, end up. Let's see what it got. 69. That is low for an Oscar winner, Best oh, Picture was, Oscar that winner. That was a very specific situation right. involving the way that movie was campaigned. And and it also the has to do with Brokeback Mountain being, you know, the fact that the antediluvian yeah. males in the Academy were not ready for a, a gay love story. I wonder if that happened this year with the new would Academy Brokeback members. Would Brokeback make it? I would argue that the, that the culture with gay marriage and everything else has moved so far, so fast, that it would be a different conversation this time. Well, let's see how it goes with Moonlight. Moonlight is a gay movie. Yep. So they, these things are they're there. They're, they're certainly Carol going. did not win anything. <laughs> That's a good point. But Carol was also a, a, a very a flat specific movie. Item. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't flat. Anne. <laughs> it, was, it was beautifully flat. textured. It had a lot of good things going for it. It's my favorite, uh, absolute favorite Todd Haynes film ever. I loved it, but I, but you could still describe it as flat. So I mean, speak of speaking of flat can movies, another movie opening this week is Sea of Trees, which is probably the worst movie I ever saw at this venerable film festival. I got it had such I was there that year. It had such bad buzz that I I just gave it a pass. I just avoided it, and I love Gus Van Sant. Yeah, and this is the worst thing. So, how ever. how would you describe, if if you could briefly, uh, what where it goes off the rails on what I, level? I, I, I will tell you what I said in a, in a staff meeting recently, uh, where somebody said, "How how can in in one sentence how can you explain how awful this movie is?" And I said, "Sad white man goes to the Japanese forest and befriends a mystical Asian man to get over his grief over his wife's death. You've, you've talked me out of it. <laughs> the, the very premise itself That's the itself Twitter is review. <laughs> not even questionably you know, racist. It's so dumb and, 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 and cheesy and derivative. And the fact of the matter is there's lots of talented people involved from Gus Van Sant to Matthew McConaughey fresh off of his Dallas Buyers Club Oscar and Ken Watanabe, who um, is is the that aforementioned uh, mystical. Who I adore usually. Uh, so yeah. it's not necessarily that, and the movie looks good. I mean, it's it's not like The Room or something. It's just so obvious and and just and it's really long too for a movie that doesn't work. So it asked a lot of its audience, which is why the Can Crowd I think uh, rebelled to the extent that it did. But uh, but it's it's just sort of baffling that it even exists in the first place. I mean, it, it, to see something like this from you know a filmmaker who who we all, I always assume that a Gus Van Sant movie is worth watching, and this one is it's really not worth watching. I mean, if if there's any time to release a movie like this, I suppose it's outside of the clutter of award season. But at the same time, there's lots of other stuff opening to to go back to. Uh, this year's can, we also have the Mel Gibson movie Bloodfather, which I think you liked more than I did, but it's better than Sea of Trees. So Well, he's actually well cast in this in this, you know, it's about a guy who who's seeking a certain kind of, of, of redemption. He's an ex con. He made a lot of mistakes in his life. 
there's not a lot going on for him. And his daughter uh, arrives in need and he is capable and willing. It's a, a little bit like one of those Liam Neeson you know, taken movies. It's a, it's, it, you could put it in that genre. He's willing, you know, to do what he has to do to make things right and to try to save her from the jam that she's gotten herself into. And of course, she's being chased by all the wrong people. And of course, he's a soldier and he can take care of himself. And he, he's, you know what, Mel Gibson's a really good actor, okay? And so the damage and the anger and the and the regret and and all of that stuff is inside of him, and it all works to his benefit. I think the, the early scenes in this movie are definitely some of the best we, we, acting we've seen from Mel Gibson in a long time. Because partly the the parallels between uh, what we understand his real life struggles to be and, and who this character is really shine through in the performance. He's at like AA meetings and stuff like that. It's kind of a it's it's a B movie that I wanted something more from. I I love a, a great kind of wacky action movie that doesn't necessarily break the rules but excels at, at meeting them. And and I didn't. This is very good for the for the cost. I I would say this is a pretty inexpensive, yeah, but but kind movie. of forgettable in some ways. Yeah, no, it doesn't break any any any. It's it's what it for. It's really well done for what it is. And and. Uh, you know, does it does it break any new ground? No. Is it good enough? Maybe the question should be at this point to reintroduce viewers kind of gently to the idea of enjoying Mel Gibson, so that his movie that he directed, Hacksaw Ridge, which is coming to Venice, which in, he isn't in, in, which he, he isn't, isn't in, in, but his name will be all over, and he'll do. Uh, yeah, they're selling it like this. They're saying from the director of Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't say it doesn't one. say from Mel Gibson. It says from Who is that the guy again? From Graveheart. And and that's the other thing. I mean, it's hard I, I was doing this story about about Birth of a Nation and I was looking things up and I was realizing that there was a time when Russell Crowe had three Oscar nominated best actor uh performances in a row. You know? Back in two thousand with the Gladiator and he won Best Actor, and then there was um you know, master and commander. And then there, you know, there was Cinderella man. This is a guy who was at the top of his form. And we look at Russell Crowe now and we don't, it's hard to remember that. And Mel Gibson is sort of like that too. You know, he's been through so much. It's hard to remember, you know, all the good stuff that he did and, and all the, all the uh, talent that he, that he still has. So yeah, we'll, I'm we'll curious see. to see how Hacksaw Ridge, again, this is going to be another test of whether people can separate themselves from the man. And uh, if the movie's any good, the movie. we have no idea. So the, the one other movie that, that we should briefly note about that's opening this week is Southside With You, which premiered at Sundance, a very gentle kind of, uh, you know, almost gimmicky story about Barack and Michelle Obama's first date. But I will say that as a, as a movie that is very clearly imitating that before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight model, just two people kind of chatting about life, it imitates that formula pretty well. I mean, it, it's certainly a solid date movie. It's a lovely date movie. And what you're doing is you're projecting everything you know already about Barack and Michelle. And the guy's a ringer. He's a dead ringer for Barack. He does it really well. Um, and the woman is less like... Uh, Michelle, but but does a, a, a really good job, and it's a lovely, lovely narrative. I, I found the, it delightful. It's totally satisfying, and there's another movie called Barry 
that, that Barack Obama's college days that's going to Toronto this year, which it's, I think it's a much smaller movie, but it's, uh, I'm curious to see the contrast between those two. So um, it's nice to be able to, uh, to recommend something kind of gentle like this right now. Because They've gotten enough good reaction on it that they're actually opening it pretty wide. So Yeah, I'd be yeah. curious to see, see how it does, although I, I feel like we won't be able to squeeze in a reassessment next week because we will be in the mountains of, Toronto, of Telluride and, and the following week we'll be in Toronto. So we are off to the races. Fingers crossed we can stay awake, stay hydrated, and make our way into the first big phase of award season so i'll see you out there ann eric the thing that matters to you is finding all those arcane jewels that will never be in the oscar race and that's what we love you for i'm looking for them okay you best believe it bye bye it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.